Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. In today's episode with therapists Ashley and Maria, we talk a lot about mindfulness and how parents can be great role models for their kids, making everyone's lives easier in the meantime. Enjoy! Hello, Maria and Ashley. I am very excited about today's special podcast because we are going to be able to help parents in so many different ways. Thank you for having us. This is Ashley Graber. I'm so happy to be here. I'm here with my partner, Maria, who will introduce herself. And we own the company called Corporate Mindfulness Method, where we help parents to find calm in their homes, either through our workshops or the book that we wrote, which we'll talk about more later. I'm really excited about your book. Maria, why don't you introduce yourself so they can hear your voice, too, and we know who's talking. Absolutely. My name is Maria Evans. And I have a private practice here in LA as well. And my background is in researching the impact of trauma on young children. So Ashley and I both work with children and families as therapists and parent coaches. And we're also mindfulness teachers. So we put everything together to deliver these really dynamic workshops for parents, right? To teach them how to manage their guilt, help their kids self-regulate and respond to big emotions. And, you know, dogs play a really big part in that. So we're so excited to be here. Well, you guys were the perfect pair to bring on because not only do you both have very different dogs from each other so that you can speak to how dog personalities truly impact families, Mm -hmm. but you also can help parents feel better (laughs) because I know that I was really hard on myself as a parent. I know that other parents are in the exact same situation. We beat beat ourselves up about what we wish we could do. And we're not superheroes as much as we wish we could be. And you both have some strategies to help parents um, be more effective leaders in their household. So let's start with that. Ashley, why don't you begin? Um, And I'm going to let you start with wherever you feel is most appropriate with that kind of lead in. Great, great. And we'll just say our names when we're talking so you guys can hear us. Okay, thank you. Sure. So um, again, it's Ashley. And, you know, it, it... when you said that, it made me think, you know, the guilt factor is like times a thousand right now um, in this current world that we're living in. What we see with parents is that they've had to put on even more hats than they had before. So now not only are they parents, but they're teachers and their coaches and their mentors and their friends. And they're filling in all these roles that children don't have or didn't have um, during the quarantine. So there's a ton of different directions that we could go with this, but let's just start with, um, we too believe in empowering parents and having tools that they can use in the moment that will not only help find calm for their children, 
but mostly for themselves. Because oh, we, yes, exactly. Well, and you know, the thing that we always tell parents, which is so important, is that they are the nervous system of the family. So in just the same way that the, a teacher is the nervous system of a classroom, parents are the ones who are running the feelings in the home based on either how they're feeling or their own reactions to what's happening. And there's a lot of things that are, we can easily get upset about. And that is not a problem. We're human, as you said before. But what we want parents to have is we want them to feel empowered with tools. So in those moments, they have something to grab onto. Mm -hmm. And in our book, what we did is we compiled everything that we're teaching here in LA and in parent coaching and everything that's important for parents to know right now. So for example, how to respond to loss, right? There's been so many changes. In <laughs> I can hear the pup. Uh, that's my older dog. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so many changes and losses over this time, right? And even for us as adults, the changes have been huge. So you can only imagine in their little bodies, how big it's been for them, right? And so we have strategies in the book that help parents to, you know, I'll give you an example. One of these is great, which is we recommend that parents put together a little photo album of the places and the things that children used to do before quarantine that they might miss or that they simply haven't gotten to do in a long time. And what that that's great for really any age. And so what they can do is they can print out pictures of restaurants, you know, it's simple Google search will do just any sort of photo. They can print out pictures of parks they maybe used to go to, even dog parks, right? Some people stop being able to go. And that allows them to just have a tangible item that at any point they can pull off the shelf and list through. And, and it kind of helps memorialize those memories. I love that. Can you say the name of your book? Because you guys have mentioned your book, but I want to make sure that we're promoting it. What's it called? Sure. It's Ashley again. Um, the book is on Amazon Kindle. But the cool thing is, is you don't actually have to have a Kindle to read the book. Kindle offers a free app that anybody can download. So the book is called Find Calm, Simple Tools to Help Children Cope in an Unpredictable World. And we know the reason we chose that title and to do this book right now was that we've never been in a more unpredictable world than we've been in in the last year. And that unpredictability continues on now into the first quarter of 2021. And the changes are a lot. You know, the changes, even going back to school, can be another really big transition in children's lives. And we're seeing it right now where parents are like, oh, they're so excited to go back. They're so excited to go back. But there's this going on, you know, or that going on. Right. And we also know that during quarantine, a lot of people got dogs. <laughs> More yes. dogs than ever were adopted. Um, I had heard rumor that even the shelters were were sort of empty. On the, your side, yes, during this. So those changes are not only happening to the child and the family, but also to the pets in the family. And so, you know, I have kiddos who were talking about really being bonded to their animal that they got during quarantine, and now they're going back to school. Mm -hmm. So this is a big shift. And, you know, again, these transitions, these shifts, as Maria said, you know, we can feel how big the losses in our bodies, our grown-up bodies, right? If we think about what change is like in our grown-up bodies, we can then feel how enormous that feels in our little ones' bodies. 
It's definitely anxiety invoking. I mean, because I, I'm a thinker, so I'm the kind of person who lays in bed and thinks every scenario through and what if I did this, or maybe I should have done that. And I know that, um, these changes in routine are also really impactful on the dog as well, because these dogs have been used to having everyone home all of the time. So it's going to be a big shift in um, not only routine for everyone, but also the levels of attention for everyone. And um, so there's a lot of, a lot of changes that are pending. Maria, you look like you have something to contribute here. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of wisdom there. And part of living in an unpredictable world has so much to do with anxiety, right? Which is that when we don't know what's going to come next, mm -hmm. that's when we often feel anxious. And so what we recommend for parents and families is to have routines, right? Allow children to know what's going to come next. And that goes the same for dogs. So in terms of making the transition back into the real world, what we recommend for everybody's sake is to start practicing, right? Mm -hmm. So that might look like, you know, there was this hilarious meme that I saw this year that said the only people who lucked out in quarantine were the dogs, right? <laughs> they got to be home with everybody 24-7. I saw so, that too. Right? So what we recommend is take small trips outside and allow the dogs to get used to it, right? So. Mm -hmm. Leave the dogs at home. Start small. If you haven't left them at home at all, start with 15-minute increments, right? Or even and smaller. Even smaller. Yeah, Two minutes, right? Because, you know, just like, just like toddlers, dogs need to learn that when we go away, we do come back, mm -hmm. right? And so if we do that slowly over time, they can start to trust and they can start to get into a routine in their own nervous systems too. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, Maria, this is Ashley again. Maria brings up a really good point, you know, that we really want parents to hear, which is prepping children, you know, children, dogs, you know, yourselves, whomever it is, dry runs to the school, you know, where you drive there, maybe yeah. you can get out and walk, calendars that show kiddos countdowns of how many days are we going to have until we go back to school? What are we going to do or whatever the big transition is? What are we going to do on those days in between? And then lots of repetition and predictability so that, you know, kids really, really, really do well when things are predictable, right? Mm -hmm. We just touched on that. When we don't know what's going to happen, we can get nervous. So when we plan that out for children, then they have a better sense of what's happening and they don't have to get nervous about it. They mm -hmm. are overly nervous about it. I love that. I, I, relate to that. You know, I feel that I am much more in control. I mean, this morning I sat down and I wrote my to-do list, for example, and I can check off things that I feel that I've accomplished. And for some silly reason, even the littlest thing makes me feel like I got something done. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll even add things to there that I know I'm going to do, like take a shower because it still helps me feel like I've done something productive. Um, visual cues are so helpful for children um, mm -hmm. in terms of predictability. I remember my son had some developmental challenges when he was younger and we used a, a tool called a time timer. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just, you know, I mean, you can use an hourglass and they can see the sand, but the time timer really made it very clear. It was this kind of like a clock. It looked a little like a clock and it showed you exactly how much time was left until a certain thing was going to happen, which allows you to anticipate these kinds of things. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about, let's say, um, 
a strategy that I could use as a parent or any of my audience who's listening, who maybe is feeling overwhelmed by any, any number of things, what can I do in the moment to just try to recenter myself and get back, sort of rein back in some of that anxiety that it, I feel like it can avalanche so easily. Mm -hmm. So how do we slow down a little bit and try to get things back into perspective, if that makes sense? Yeah. So we always, this is Ashley again, we always talk about um, with mindfulness practice, you can't help but be present if you're using your senses, right? So it really comes back to what did we learn in grade school? What are your five senses? You know, so what we, what we recommend to people is always tap into your senses because when we tap into our senses, it gets us out of our head. And when we're in our head is generally where we get ourselves into trouble because we shoot out into the future or we go way back into the past. <laughs> yes. So the thing we want to do is get into the present and we can do this for ourselves and we can do this with our littlest ones. Two-year-olds can practice coming to their senses. You could say, find something red in the house and bring it to me. Find something orange in the house and bring it to me. Let's go outside and search for things that are purple or search for things that are green. Let's step outside and tap into all of our senses. What do we smell, right? What do we feel, the sun or the wind on our face? Could we actually touch the bark on a tree? Not just look at it, but actually feel it. Could we grab some leaves, crunch them in our hands, feel the softness of them? Really look at the leaf. What do you actually see? Not just a leaf, because it, once we say a leaf, it then becomes every leaf we've ever seen. So yeah. when we see a leaf and we're going to we're going to try to get present with it, can we describe what we see? Oh, there's veins going down the middle of it. Oh, it's smooth on one side and kind of furry on another side. Right. You're making me feel more relaxed already. I don't know why. That's amazing. I'm totally visualizing everything you're saying and I'm feeling the sun and the wind and it's I'm grounded. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes. That's crazy. What Ashley's describing is exactly a grounding practice, right? And oftentimes in trauma or anxiety or really any moment that doesn't feel centered and present, which is almost all moments, let's be real, right? Yeah. <laughs> we can use this tool and it takes all of 10 seconds sometimes. So, you know, if if you can't get your child to bed or, or you know, there's just too much going on or you need to make dinner and something's up, just even standing in place taking a deep breath, averting your eyes to something that you can see, like maybe find a circle or something bright or something soft, right? Is it a fantastic tool to grab onto? And what's more is when parents do this, kids get to see, and we call this modeling. Yes. Too. Yes. And we thought that is good. Yeah. Sorry, Michelle. It's Ashley. Again, we do talk about that in the book. And again, you know, I want to, I want to stress to anyone listening, whenever I hear a book, I think, oh my God, I'm going to have to read a whole nother book. Ah! <laughs> we made the book that you don't have to feel that way about. So we teach you in a really concise way. What does modeling mean and how do I do it? You know, okay. how do I do these um, very, very simple practices with our children and very simple explanations of something that, you know, we talk about, which is regression in a way that kids act are acting maybe younger than they might have prior, you know, prior to the pandemic. So they had gone sort of past a developmental stage. And now that the pandemic happened, they slid backwards. Maybe they're more clingy to their parents. Maybe they're... Um, 
afraid to sleep alone at night. Mm-hmm. And can, we'll talk more about this, but um, it's really important to um, understand, and we talk about this in our book, that what they're saying or what they're doing may not be exactly what's going on. So when a child says, I hate this meal, right? Or I hate you for this meal, right? <laughs> we be a detective and get underneath what that is. And Maria will talk a little bit more about the safety piece and why kids um, are doing the things that they're doing. Really quick before Maria, before you chime in, I, what you're saying, Ashley, is really interesting because I think regression can happen in so many different kinds of circumstances. I work with a lot of families who are expecting mm-hmm. and they're trying to figure out how to support their dog so that when the baby comes home, all these changes for the dog have already happened and that the dog doesn't make an association with the new baby coming home as the cause for all of these new, like that I can no longer sleep in your bed because we don't want to build resentment and those kinds of things. But I do see a lot of older siblings have regression when a baby is born. And I like that you brought up that the pandemic can cause a similar type of regression because anything that causes an emotional impact can cause our behavior to change, our, ourselves included. I, I do want to make sure that we you know, honor that, that we're going to often see similar behaviors in ourselves, that we're going to start acting ridiculous sometimes too, mm-hmm. maybe getting short-tempered at things that we thought we could handle before, mm-hmm. right? It, it seems like it's a it's a whole family type of dynamic. I didn't mean to interrupt because I'm excited to hear what Maria has to say about that. So go ahead. Thank you. Oh, yeah. No, that's great. You know, I think just to add on to what you're saying, we like to also coach people to look at the context, right? So if you've just blown up at somebody or it was hard for you to hold something in or maybe you're more irritable than usual, take a look at the context. Oh, wait a minute. We're in a pandemic. Oh, I've been home with the same people 24-7 for a year. Oh, I didn't get much sleep. Oh, and maybe I didn't have lunch. Or, you know, whatever is contributing to that. Often when we can just put words to or understand why we're feeling a certain way, it really helps bring us down, right? And it takes away some of that guilt which comes up, right? And helps us to just contextualize and understand why. And so that can be really helpful. It's like you're in my head, Maria. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that we talk about, so Maria and I teach, um, you know, parents on a, in a, in very large groups of parents in corporate companies um, to help them. And one of the things that we see is that parents so often think they're alone in this. It's only my child regressing or I'm the, you know, I'm the one that I'm, I'm worse or the things that I do are worse than other people. And when we get them on to a group call, which is, you know, what we're doing with people with sometimes hundreds of people, we see this thing that we talk about called common humanity, right? And this concept means that we're not alone in this. Everybody suffers, Right. And so when we, you know, when we're talking about what can parents do in the moment, you know, tapping into common humanity will often help us soothe on the inside. And I always like to share this story that um, one of the teachers that and people that we've worked with, a guy called Elijah Goldstein, talked about trying to put his two children to bed. Now, Elijah is a meditation and mindfulness teacher and like a super amazing dad and super mellow. But he had one child who would put it into bed and then go to put the other one in bed and the first one would pop up. Right? <laughs> and then he put the second one in bed, like it would just go back and forth and back and forth. And he was starting to lose it and said just a moment before he started to yell at his kids, he stopped and said, OK, I wonder how 
how many people on my block at 7.30 p.m. are struggling to get their children to sleep. Okay, and then expanded that out. I wonder how many people in my city, in my state, in the country struggle. And you can feel just even in me saying that, how, oh, you can take a deep breath when you realize you're not alone in this. Yeah, I think it's so easy to then judge yourself when you think you are alone and think, you know, because I I think you, I'm sure you see this too, that social media can really... Um, give everyone the wrong impression, right? Because everybody's cultivating these perfect images of how great their life is and all the stuff. And we know that it's exaggerated often and it's very curated. We pick the perfect things. We're not showing the crying and the poo on the wall because we changed a diaper and it had an incident or whatever. I mean, that's one thing that I love about this podcast and why I don't often mind if my dog barks for a second because I... Life is messy. And I think it's important that people feel that they're part of a community where they understand that life is messy and that they're not the only ones going through that. I I think that's one of the valuable pieces of my membership um, that I have for parents of kids and dogs who just want ongoing support because it's really hard. And people don't warn you when you're getting a puppy that it's really hard. It's like having a newborn and you're not going to get as much sleep and you have to pay attention 24 hours a day and all of these other kinds of things. Um, and yet you think, God, everybody who has puppies is so happy and they're snuggly and they sleep all the time. And that is totally not true. Um, you both have dogs mm -hmm. and it seems to me that each of you have a very different kind of dog from each other. Can we just talk about that for a little bit? Because I think, that that will also help our listeners to understand that even when you're a mindfulness coach, that sometimes <laughs> you wonder what you've gotten yourself into, or maybe you've made some big strides and you can have something to feel really proud of. So let's start with you, Maria. Um, talk to us a little bit about your dog and how it's impacted even your work as a parent and as a coach. Absolutely. So my dog's name is Nala. And she's a rescue and she is very, very anxious. She's part Jack Russell, part maybe Sharpay. We're not exactly sure. She's a very funny looking dog. She's got really long legs and a really small head. Oh. You know, sometimes her feelings get hurt because we'll be walking on the street and someone, usually it's a child, will say, that dog's head is too small for its body. <laughs> but we've learned a lot of positive self-talk. So Nala knows how to talk. <laughs> positively to herself <laughs> very afraid so she's afraid of bags she's afraid of anything on wheels she is well maybe Ashley can tell you we were just walking along the beach and Ashley was really laughing tell us what you noticed she's legitimately afraid of her own shadow like of course being afraid of her own shadow she stopped at her own shadow and we had to walk we had to coax <laughs> her to walk through oh, Nala. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so you know what I'll share is that I use her as a teaching tool all the time with my child clients because when they see her you know a lot of my child clients have anxiety right and what they get to learn is a, the fact that all beings experience anxiety, right? So they, we get to normalize that for them. The other piece is that 
I get to tell stories about Nala that they can learn from, right? So, oh, Nala's really afraid of wheels, things on wheels. How do you think we can help her? Because there's wheels everywhere. There's wheels on cars, there's wheels on skateboards, right? And then they get to be the problem solvers and they get to say, well, maybe first she could just see a wheel, right? And we talk about exposure therapy that way. So maybe first we can just show her and maybe she can smell it. And then maybe we can just walk up and look at a wheel before it's moving, right? And so kind of through her, she becomes a therapeutic tool in that way. That is amazing because so many people take the exact opposite approach when they have a dog who's anxious and it turns into a point of frustration. And we we focus too much on the dog we wish we had instead of the dog that's right in front of us. And Mm -hmm. parents do that with their kids too. I mean, I'm not going to lie that sometimes you wish Mm -hmm. maybe your child didn't have a learning disability or you wish your child was neurotypical or you wish whatever your kid had more friends and wasn't socially awkward or whatever. Um, And yet we're doing a disservice by doing that approach and not really just working with the individual who's right in front of us. So I love that Nala has become a teaching tool because it's really hard to judge a dog who has big feelings. You know, it's not their fault. Her, it's not her fault. She she came with some baggage and we've got to work with what's there. And what about you, Ashley? Your dog is very different. My dog is very different. So Otis is um, almost 16 years old. He's a Shih Tzu and he sleeps Well, 95% of the time, his tongue is hanging out of his mouth, but certainly always when he sleeps, it's way far out of his mouth. So he really provides a source of comfort um, to my clients. And, you know, certainly pre-pandemic when we were in person, the kiddos, everybody wanted to snuggle with Otis, but the kiddos would get on the floor with him and sort of lay back to back with him with their backs touching, or they would sort of lay a little, you know, not nose to nose because that's unsafe, but lay on the floor, you know, facing each other. And um, Otis really has become sort of the mindfulness dog because we use him as a way to help bring calm in moments when they're feeling more activated. And we teach parents to do this as well, because the dog is an opportunity to tap into your senses, Right? Mm-hmm. So you can explore the dog through your senses. What do you see? Not just your dog, but what do you actually see? Right. When I look down, I see um, Otis is black. He's got a black head and black ears. And I see his white fur and black spots. I see the little spikes coming up out of his at the top of his hair and the little extra fluffs now that his hair is long on his paws. I can feel the pads. They're kind of rough in some place and a little smooth. And yet his nose is cold. So I could keep going on, but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. And Otis um, really does also become um, a secret keeper too, which is something that I talk to parents about that, you know, oftentimes kids aren't going to tell you exactly what's going on, or they don't have the words to tell you what's going on. They don't understand it for themselves, but they can tell the pet, they can whisper it into their ears, 
right? They could write a note to it and give it to it. Um, and that provides an opportunity to be able to express what's going on and get it from inside to the outside of them, you know? And maybe the next step is that the, that the child would be able to tell the parent, but they need some practice at telling someone, someone or something else, you know? So I constantly have kids, I even, so when we were in person, the kiddos would whisper into Otis's ear. And now that we're doing everything via teletherapy, I leave the room. So I'll say, oh, if you have to tell Otis something, let me leave the room. And I do. And they tell Otis and I come back and then we move on. Right. And invariably they will bring that thing back up to me again sometime later, but they needed to practice being able to tell him first. I love that you said that. And practice is so important with everything that we do. And I'm, I, I feel like a broken record a lot of the time because I, I say that dogs repeat what they practice. Mm-hmm. And so if we have a dog that um, is over aroused and is biting the family members because we don't have enough management in place, then that dog will keep repeating those behaviors, which mm-hmm. causes so much stress to all the family members. And we don't want people to become afraid of their dog. But on the other hand, if we can help a dog practice calmness, then a dog will repeat that behavior as well. So I like that you talked about that with children as well, that it takes practice to share deep thoughts, to share feelings, Mm -hmm. um, which then they can bring up and use as a constructive teaching tool later, right? Maria, you were going to say Yeah, it's interesting. All beings need to be felt, right? They all need to be seen and they all need to feel felt. And so what that means is, you know, sometimes as parents, especially, um, people want to be fixers. How do I fix this feeling? How do I make this go away? Right. When really we'll let you in on one of the biggest secrets, right. Of therapy is you just need to feel the feeling or see the person having the feeling. So, you know, if a child is sad or if a dog is scared, right. It's just getting right on their eye level, getting right there with them and saying, Oh, that's scary. Isn't it? And ah, the nervous system just relaxes. We don't need to have a cure. We don't need to have a solution for what's scary. We just need to join them in it so that they're not alone and they can co-regulate with you. A lot of co-regulation happens with kids and with dogs, right? We know that when we're more calm, our kids or our pets are also more calm. They can feel it. That goes back to your nervous system analogy, Mm -hmm. Ashley, Mm -hmm. that I loved so much. I even wrote it down. Mm -hmm. I, that... I think that's great because let's go back to that for one second, that the parent Mm -hmm. is the model. We talked about modeling before that if we are frantic and losing our mind and losing our temper, that family members are going to also be more frenetic and chaotic, Mm -hmm. right? But if we're a little more Mm -hmm. calm, then it seems that we can hold space then for other people to be calm. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that's true? I do. And we talk about this in the book, you know, that that we want to, uh, you know, recognize the feeling in the in the child and okay the feeling. Right. Because the feeling we don't actually have a problem with the behaviors that are going on. We might have a problem with, but not the feeling. All feelings are okay, And we definitely want to teach that, that all feelings are okay, And we all have those feelings. So we teach parents to see the child, as Maria is saying, see them, 
and then okay that feeling. Wow, I see that you're angry right now. It's okay to feel angry. But here's the catch. We, we also can hold the boundary, right? So if a child is screaming at you or throwing something or hitting their sibling or doing something that you absolutely don't allow in your house, that you still do hold that boundary. I see that you're angry. It's okay to feel angry. It's not okay to hit your brother. So I'm going to remove you from the room until we feel better, right? Mm -hmm. So when we give parents the permission to also hold the boundary, then they can step into being able to okay the feeling more because you're not giving up the reins when you're okaying the feeling. And sometimes parents can think, and this is the same with a pet, you know, they think sometimes if I okay it, then then they're going to keep doing it or that I'm saying that their behavior is okay. But what we want to do is separate the feelings from the behavior so that we can say, okay, I'm going to correct the behavior, but the feelings really are okay. Even oh when they're feelings that are uncomfortable for the adults. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. I think anyone listening to this, and if there's any dog trainers listening to this, they're going to be like doing a little happy dance because I, that was something I actually called my mentor this morning to talk to her about a client that I was having who the dog was having really big feelings, but the behavior was really inappropriate and we had to keep everybody in the household safe. And we talked about managing the behavior to prevent anyone from being unsafe while still trying to dig a little bit deeper to understand why the dog was having the feelings that it was having. Right. Yeah. That's, that's so great. You know, there's also sometimes guilt that parents feel for setting boundaries or they might feel bad about having a more stern voice. And what we like to tell parents is that kids and dogs actually feel safer when there are boundaries in place. Yeah. Right. There's there's a sense of safety for the body, for the nervous system in general when when we do have a container and when we do know what's OK and what's not. You know, a good example of that is if you have teenagers. Right. <laughs> teenagers, as much as they don't want the rules, they need some sort of boundary that they can push up against. Mm -hmm. Their job is to push up against the boundary and the parent's job is to hold the boundary in place because what happens if that boundary expands? Then they come up again up to the boundary and push, right? So teenagers actually feel really safe with boundaries too. So that one thing, right, to remember for parents is you're doing a great service by holding that boundary. I, you just reminded me of something that happened so long ago when I was in my early years of teaching high school. Um, it was before my children were born and I was pregnant the last year that I was teaching. And, um, and then I took time off to raise my kids for a little while. But I asked, I taught high school biology and I asked my students, I'm sitting there, you know, giant in there. And, and I asked them if they would be willing to tell me some advice, parenting advice that they wish their parents knew. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And first of all, the fact that I even asked for their opinion blew their minds and their Best eyes opened wide. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they couldn't believe I was asking for their opinion, first of all. And second of all, they knew I actually wanted to know it. I wasn't just like mm -hmm. trying to make feel good. And, and the answer that they gave me consistently was we need boundaries. And it was crazy because teenagers act like they don't want boundaries and they push against the boundaries and they 
break curfews and they do those things, yeah. but they also partly want to see what you're going to do about it. And they told me over and over again that when there is structure in place, they feel more loved than when somebody gives them free reign. And when somebody's trying to just be too permissive, mm-hmm. they don't feel like they're worth being structured and regulated. Mm-hmm. And it, it resonated with me and I have never forgotten that. And my brain is a sieve, if I'm going to be honest. I forget lots of things, but I that was such a meaningful day. And I came home and told my husband, I said, I just had the best teaching day because mm-hmm. the kids were honest with me about what they wish their parents knew. And it was really meaningful. And it really um, is related to what you just said, Maria, in terms of that example. And I loved that you gave that example because everyone thinks of teenagers as pushing against things. And adolescent dogs do the same thing, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, adolescent dogs and adolescent humans are all the same where they're really testing and they want to see what the structure is. And I find that when they believe that you will take care of them, no matter what the circumstances are, then they can let their guard down and just feel safer. It's true. And I wonder if this happens for dogs, you could tell us, but with teenagers, their brain is actually sloughing. So there's all these neurons in our brain when we're born and when we're small, and we don't need all of them as we get older. So the extra ones that the tracks don't get laid in our brains, you know, the extra neurons that are firing, when we get into our teenage years, it's something called sloughing. So the brain actually sloughs those extra ones away. Why do we say that teenagers are losing their minds, right? <laughs> they are actually losing their minds, right? That's like, amazing. There's actually something happening in there. But there's also a lot of thought that, you know, kids are the most creative at those times and that we should really... Um, listen to their ideas. And, um, you know, they're, they're not as much in control of what's happening in their brain. And they don't really know how the world works because they have more freedom at this point. And they really depend on us to hold that, as you said, so that they have a safe base to come back to where they know what, what, what rules exist and, and, and where they can push to the sides and where they can't. And what mm-hmm. we see with kids, teenagers, younger kids, is that when the boundaries aren't in place, the children are anxious. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. They're anxious. And so um, when parents do get um, better boundaries in place, you know, meaning that they're holding them, then the children will feel better too. That That is exactly true with dogs as well. So structure mm-hmm. just relieve stress because you know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know here, you know, we're talking a lot about safety. This is a big piece that we think about, which is look for the safety, right? And for families that have dogs, dogs are such a safe haven. They're such a safe space. Ashley was discussing how dogs can be secret keepers, which is very, very special. They can be best friends, right? And The other piece is that sometimes, and this goes for adults too, is that dogs can serve as, you know, in psycho language, we call this um, projective objects or self objects, but, and you'll know what I mean instantly, which is, you know, do you ever have a bad day and you're walking dog and you're like, oh, she's having a bad day, right? My dog, right? Mm -hmm. Or, well, well, my dog's not sure we want to go to lunch today. I'm not sure she's up for that, right? (laughs) That's actually a really cool coping mechanism that we have as humans. And so if you want to be a sleuth and look out for ways that your child might be feeling, pay attention to how they talk about the dog, right? No, she's not in the mood. 
No, she doesn't <laughs> want to do, she doesn't want a bath. No, she doesn't really like baths. And what <laughs> is when that happens play along right or if they're being a dog play along play is so so helpful for processing emotions so rather than saying what do you mean she's a dog how how would she have an opinion on bath time or whatever right? play along <laughs> she doesn't like baths what does she not like about them oh she doesn't like those types of people right like you know whatever it is that comes up just go with it and then you'll learn so much about your child I love that idea. I love any way that we can be more observant and uh, detective-y, you know, sleuthy. I like the word you use, sleuth. I think that's really good. Mm-hmm. I think um, it gives a lot of insight. Well, mm-hmm. I think this is a perfect place to wrap up. We have covered some amazing, amazing ideas for how parents can be more grounded from just being more sensory um, to... Um, you know, realizing that we are the nervous system of our family and that when we are calmer, that everyone else is calmer. Um, Ashley, I would like for you to tell us the name of your book one more time, and I am going to link to it in the show notes on the poochparenting.net website as well. Um, And any last gems you want to close out with, go ahead and we'll start with you, Ashley. Sure. Again, it's Ashley. Um, So the book is called Find Calm, Simple Tools to Help Children Cope in an Unpredictable World. And again, it's on Amazon, Kindle. I think Amazon is like the big store in the sky. So it's on Kindle. And again, you don't need an actual Kindle. It's very you just need the free app. But I also want to mention that, you know, if there's anyone listening out here and you think like, oh my gosh, my company could use this so much, you know, that the parents in my company could use um, these tools or they hear like, oh, company-wide mindfulness would be so helpful for our company to also reach out to corporatemindfulnessmethod.com, which um, Michelle, if you could put a link into that, into the show notes with that as well. Um, we're really very much about helping parents in any way we can. Um, so either of those things, um, we want people to have, uh, I should say both of those things we want people to have so that they can get their needs met um, depending on what they are in particular. I love that. That's wonderful. Great. And for anyone who's listening, we highly recommend that you turn this off. And take 10 minutes for yourself. No yes. kids, no dogs, nothing. Just enjoy yourself for 10 minutes. Collect your nervous system and you will be better for it. I yep. love that. And even if it has to be in the bathroom with the door closed. Exactly. Sometimes that's the only space that you can do that. <laughs> exactly. Or a closet. <laughs> I'm a big advocate of hiding behind any door that closes. I think that's, that's a right. great idea. Of course, when doing that, we don't want to leave the kids and dogs unsupervised. So bring the bring somebody into a different room and shut the door to keep everyone safe. That's but I think that's a great idea. You got it. Thank you, you, ladies. It was so wonderful to meet you both. And um, I can't wait to hear what people think of this episode. So thanks again. We're so excited. We really enjoyed this. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Bye. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Pooch Parenting Podcast on iTunes or on the podcast app of your choice. If you're looking for ongoing support for your family with dogs, be sure to get on the waiting list for my Thriving Parents with Kids and Dogs membership at www.safekidsanddogs.com. And don't forget to follow Pooch Parenting on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening.